Uh, Father God, we thank you for these uh, stories of yours, acts that you did, the things you taught, uh, recorded for us in Scripture. We ask, Lord, today, even as we open the Scripture, you will open our eyes, you will open our hearts, that we might receive your word, more importantly, be built up and uh, be transformed uh, in the way we live uh, for you. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Mike has uh, just told us the story about uh, the man who was unwell for a period of uh, 38 years being healed. And uh, what we're going to be, I'm not going to be dwelling much on the story except uh, I'm going to continue on the second part of that chapter. Um, this is John, Jesus' favorite disciple, self-designated title by John uh, writing. He was one of the uh, last, this is one of the last, this is the last gospel to be penned. And he was writing at the tail end of his life. He was probably at Ephesus when he was writing this. And uh, it is important uh, that he is uh, speaking about the words and the works of Jesus uh, from a different point of view to the other gospel writers who went before. His aim is to consolidate the existing church uh, to be clear about who Jesus is and uh, what his death, has, his death, his burial and his resurrection has accomplished. At the time when John is writing this, uh, extra-biblical information points that there was 50% of the church were from a Jewish descent and 50% were Greek, so it was like a, a, a cutting point. And last time I spoke, I touched on the aspect that uh, John addresses very much the Jewish side of things uh, by, because in Jewish mythology, they already had gods coming down to earth and marrying women and producing uh, superhuman people with superpower. Okay, so he was saying that Jesus was different and uh, he starts off by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And uh, sometimes you'd find that uh, uh, the, the, in the first few hundred years of the church, there was a, a lot of uh, conversation and study regarding uh, where did Jesus stand? Was he a human? Was he God? How much of it, how much was he partly God and partly man? These questions were going through so much so in the early uh, first 400 years of the church life, there was a, a, a priest by the name of Arius who kind of uh, spoke differently concerning the deity of Jesus. This, this became what he called as the uh, Arian heresy. And uh, during that particular time, Athanasius, another church father, debated with him regarding this matter, and then came the Athanasius Creed, and then a fuller creed was released later with, with the Nicene Creed, where the deity of Jesus was uh, confirmed uh, by the church and universally believed. 
So, um, from that first verse in John chapter 1, we looked last time the fact that he was, uh, he was eternal, he was personal, and he was deity. He was eternal, he was personal, he was deity. In the beginning was the word eternal. Uh, he was with God, he's, pers he's got a personality. And number three is his deity, he was God. So keep that in your mind. And then that word became flesh and uh, dwelt among us. Uh, today you find that Jesus is, uh, today we are looking in today's text, uh, Jesus is in his ministry. He is uh, at a place called Bethesda, just like uh, Mike said, just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, there was a superstition at the time that uh, the, you know, the, it, it, that, that pool was fed by an underground spring. And from periodically there was bubbling of the water and uh, people believed there might have been a healing that took place there before. That's a good possibility. And uh, since then they have believed there's no kind of... Uh, Josephus, the historian, records that people used to come and wait for the healing. But Josephus does not say there was a healing that took place, nor do the, any of the scholars. But it was commonly believed, and what was commonly believed is just being placed. Irrespective of that fact, there was this man who was in that condition for 38 years. That place was covered with people who were sick. But on that day, Jesus healed one. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Just one. And uh, that question that Mike uh, read for us, do you want to be made well? Uh, that question, when you've been in a condition for 38 years, your hope is almost gone. You have come to accept, this is my lot in life. And to him, so he is challenging his, uh, uh, Jesus is addressing his physical condition, Jesus is addressing his mental condition, he's also addressing his spiritual condition, three things. First one, he's asking, do you want to be made well? He's challenging him mentally, are you ready for this? And he's saying, he's giving excuses, he's saying, this is the case. And secondly, Jesus commands him, or gives him an edict, an order, take up your bed and walk. And so he does. Latterly, Jesus finds him and says, go and sin no more, lest a greater uh, problem come upon you. So, three things. So he addresses the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Just, just keep that in mind, just observations here. And just after this healing, this is the first time John is recording uh, uh, open hostility towards Jesus starts. Why? Because he healed this man on a Sabbath day. And uh, you shall observe the Sabbath day is one of the Ten Commandments, and therefore this Ten Commandments is being broken. So is Jesus breaking the law? Is he encouraging us to break the law? These are questions that can come up on your mind. So the first thing I'd like to say is Jesus is very clear. If you read through the Gospels, he, he is God. Sabbath was made for man, not for God. Okay, that's number one. And uh, Jesus is God. Like we said, he was, he was with God and he was God, if you like. So 
In regarding the Sabbath, should we have rest or shouldn't we do other work? These are questions that will come. There are people in the, uh, some people in Christendom today who keep a, observe a Sunday Sabbath. If you go to Jerusalem, there are people who observe a Saturday Sabbath. You've got the, that thing even amongst the Christians. So in this instance, uh, Jesus uh, starts off by, uh, I'm going to just say the main points first for you to, to hold this thing together. I'm going to say that uh, Jesus, in these passages that I'm going to explain, you'll find Jesus is the same in essence with God. Uh, Jesus is same in nature with God. Jesus is same in power with God. Jesus is same in authority with God. And Jesus is the same in truth with God. E-N-Pat. Okay. Essence, nature, power, authority, truth, and pat, okay? You got that? E-N like England, and pat as in Patrick, okay? So you got N pat. He's same in essence, he's same in nature, he's same in power, he's same in authority, he's same in truth, okay? So uh, when Jesus was, uh, when this persecution started, this is the first time John records that the persecution open hostility starts in John's Gospel. And he equates himself with the essence and the nature of God. Verse 17, my father had been working until now and I have been working. Going back to that question of Sabbath, you know, we can all take Sabbath and say, I'm going to observe a Sunday Sabbath. Sorry guys, I'm not coming to church today. I'm going to spend time resting. You can come up with that interpretation, can't you? God is working, Jesus is working. So in other words, Sabbath permits you to do God's work. And yesterday I was having a conversation with Ellie Ben Shlomo, uh, from, uh, who some of you guys know, he's in the States, he's coming back this way on the 24th of August. And uh, he was asking uh, concerning uh, what level of rest one should. Because what happens is, let's say if we are saying Sunday is a day for God, the Lord's day, then uh, is it? Then there's another question that comes up. Is it just enough that you give your one and a half hours or two hours and then the rest is my day? Uh, so if, if that's the case, then you can see why uh, he asked me that question. Is, is that the case? I said, because, because we all grow in a given culture. In a given culture, we are used to doing things a certain way. But I'm just going to challenge you a little bit, is to think uh, of, if you're setting a day aside for God, why don't you consider thinking, I would love to set the whole day aside for God. In other words, doing God works. Oh, God things. That is including fellowship with other people. It might be helping somebody, uh, but a godly work. Or studying the Bible for that matter. Or spending that time in prayer. Uh, and not to busy yourselves with other things. Because we constantly hear life is pressured. We don't have enough time. Then we need to block time. 
Block time for God, block time for God's family, block time for uh, matters of study, prayer, and good works. Okay? So, if that be the case, then maybe next time we have got a, a Zoom prayer on a Sunday evening, we might have a better participation because we have already blocked that day and we have not filled the day. I, I understand, obviously, we can't all suddenly change our routine, but I want to encourage you to stretch your thinking, your mindset to think like, hmm, maybe I will, I, I'm at the moment setting aside two hours, maybe I want to do three, maybe I want to do four, maybe I want to do my waking hours. See, I'm just giving you a challenge there. Okay. So he equates himself in the essence with God and with uh, uh, nature with God. And uh, he goes on to say, uh, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son of Man, verse 19, can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. Whatever he does, the Son also do, uh, does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he shows him greater works than these that, they, that you may marvel. So he equates with God, he calls God as his Father. Like last week we already mentioned that how uh, when we are born of God, that is we are born again, we are born of the Spirit, the Spirit quickens us, and we become the children of God as we confess and we believe that Jesus is the Christ. He gives us the right to become the sons of God or the children of God. Then we grow in the likeness of God. If you like, I'd like to use an analogy. All analogies break down if you stretch it too much. But it, basically you have got God's DNA in you, if you like, in that sense. Uh, growing in godliness, growing in righteousness, growing in holiness. And uh, I, I would just would like to say, uh, uh, Philip, my oldest son, is up there on the balcony. He has seen my dad only on a very few occasions. When he was in primary school, one day he did a gesture of moving his hand a certain way. That's exactly how my dad does. Kind of, it was quite freaky, you know. But he's only been on holiday there for two weeks, of which he was with aunties, cousins, uncles, etc., etc. So it wasn't like even a concentrated time. But some things are there. Okay. So he's equal with God in essence. He's equal with God in nature, and he's equal with God in power. He says whatever. That he's doing, I'm doing. And he goes on to say in verse 21, As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he wills. Okay. The next thing is he is equal in authority in verses 22 onwards. Uh, uh, you can see that he's equal in authority, he's equal in power, and... Uh, he is equal in truth. So let's look at those verses very quickly. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father whom he sent. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have got, even in Christendom, certain uh, uh, fringe communities, I would even call with error in teaching error. Some people say, I only have got time for the Father, I don't have no time for the Son. That is an Arian uh, heresy. So you, if you honor Jesus, you're honoring the Father. If you're honoring the Father, you would honor Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent, uh, who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I want to stress on that particular verse. We have heard his word. We have believed in the one whom he sent. Therefore, we possess everlasting life. Therefore, we shall not stand in judgment when God judges the world. This is so important. Very, very important. Because sometimes Christians uh, tend to um, uh, uh, monitor how good a Christian are based on our feeling. You know, sometimes I've, you know, have you heard this terminology, these words sometimes banded around? I feel like God is a million miles away, or I can't feel him, I can't sense him, or you might use the word God on mute. We need to understand any time of the day, we need to grow in this truth because we have believed in the one whom he sent, that is Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Therefore, I, am, I have been given eternal life. Therefore, because I believe in him whom he sent, I shall not stand in judgment. Imagine. I mean, I had a friend called Ade. And he was a bit of a, a rascal, a fella. He was in his 20s. And uh, he, uh, he used to, uh, you know, uh, go to the shops and he's quite a strong guy. And he would go into a, a clothes shop and he will leave all his old clothes and walk out with new clothes. And uh, quite a character of a fella. And he came to church in Brixton and I, was, I used to interact with him a lot. And uh, I remember, uh, it was my birthday, he, he bought me a pair of socks. I looked at him and he said, honest Gov, I paid for this. That was Ade. He ended up going to uh, Wandsworth Prison, where I used to go and meet him uh, regularly. And after a season of being in prison, he was being released and uh, I went to uh, pick him up. And he came out and he literally kissed the ground. Freedom. Freedom. I just wanted to say, like, you know, we, it's good for us to periodically to just to look back and thank God for the forgiveness of sin. Imagine. I don't know. I don't know what your lives are like. I look at myself and I thank God for the generosity, the mercy, 
uh, of God, uh, the grace of God uh, that has poured out on me, that I am not going to stand in judgment. I have been acquitted. I am free. I can get up and walk as though I have never ever sinned because he has covered my sin and atoned for my sin and the penalty is paid and I'm free. That is important for us to hold that. When you hold that, then you have the joy of salvation. You can kiss the ground and say, freedom, I am free, I am free, I am free at last. I am free for good, free to worship, free to live uh, for him. Okay, let's read that verse again. He who hears my words and believes in him who has sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life okay and uh, then he goes on to say most assuredly i say to you the hour is coming and now is the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who will who hear will live so and then we see about his authority here again uh, in verse 27 has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man again just a comment when he's talking about the son of man to a Jewish audience they knew he was referring to uh, Daniel 7:13, where uh, the vision of uh, uh, the ancient of days, and then one comes the son, son of uh, son of man, one like the son of man, and he's given all the authority to rule and to reign. So it's important when we hear the son of man, he's not trying to identify with man; he was trying to identify with the the, the prophetic uh, scripture that has already been revealed to us in Daniel seven thirteen, and. Uh, just after he finishes this, uh, as he's finishing this discourse of explaining that he's equal in essence, he's equal in nature, he's equal in power, he's equal in authority, he's equal in truth. Once he's done that, he calls for witnesses. Again, a very Jewish principle here. In Deuteronomy, it says that, you know, everything is confirmed by two or three witnesses. So he calls on that same method of understanding so these people can, uh, will uh, identify what he's saying. And uh, in this instance, he calls for uh, three witnesses, or you can, some people say four, depending on which commentary you look at. But, you know, uh, three witnesses uh, in line with Deuteronomy. So I'm going with three. Number one is John the Baptist as a witness, he calls on that. Number two, the works that he's doing, or the science he's doing. And number three, he calls on scripture, which is the, he, here he refers to as the words of Moses. Okay, so three things. So the first witness he calls is John the Baptist, and uh, these Jewish people went to see John, and they believed that John was the, uh, the prophet. And they asked John, who are you? And uh, uh, even they wanted to be baptized. Even the Pharisees came to be baptized. And John, you remember that message he said, you brood of vipers, who want you to uh, escape from the wrath to come? And uh, he was, uh, the people came, they believed he was a prophet and he was speaking. And what was John's message? Behold, there's one coming after me who's, uh, sandals I'm unworthy to unloose. 
he will baptize you with uh, God's presence or Holy Spirit and with uh, fire or he will lead you into purification or persecution as well. So here we here uh, is John's thing and what did John say? John's witness is behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John's witness. Then the works that Jesus is doing uh, you'd find that um, uh, in John chapter 3 Nicodemus comes by night. Who is he? He was a a leader. He was a, a in the in the Sanhedrin, if you like, and so he came by night. What did he say? No one can do these works unless he's sent by God. There again, his works speak loudly and clearly that he is the is same in essence, he's same in nature, he's same in power, he's same in authority, he's same in truth. Okay. And the last witness he calls is the scripture. But he does touch one more, which is the witness of the Father in verses 37 and 38. Uh, he says, The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. But then he makes this claim that you neither heard his voice at any time nor seen him. Why is that he's saying that? It's because when Jesus was baptized, yes, it's true that uh, the voice came from heaven which said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased at the Mount of Transfiguration again the voice came that this is my beloved son and uh, this is being repeated but for the general public they did not know therefore John is making it clear that they did not hear the voice of God at any given time except those who were close to him at the time of Jesus baptism and lastly, the scriptures. It says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These testify of me. And he said, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And uh, uh, so here is the scriptures when he's talking to the scriptures again in verse 46 i would like to just touch on that okay 45 and 46 do not think that i shall accuse you to the father there's one who accuses you moses in whom you trust in other words what he's referring to moses he's saying you got the torah the torah is about me and it, it, it the because you did not believe in the one it was pointing to, therefore that very words will accuse you. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how then will you believe in my words? There is, uh, people don't naturally, they don't want to come to Jesus, that is their disposition. Until and unless the Holy Spirit quickens people's hearts, no one, uh, the, uh, John uh, later records Jesus' words by saying, unless the Father draw, no one will come to the Son, but he who comes to the Son, he will no wise cast out. So I'm just going to tie up all the loose ends uh, John chapter 5, what's happened? A healing has happened for a man who was unwell for 38 years, who had given up hope, 
and three things we looked about him. What were the three things we looked about him? Number one, Jesus challenges his physical situation. Jesus challenges his mental situation. Jesus challenges his spiritual situation. Okay, with regard to the Sabbath, Sabbath is for man for us to rest. But Sabbath, we can do works of God or good works on a Sabbath day. Okay, so keep that in mind. Challenge for us is maybe we have just used to, I'll do my two hours or three hours. My challenge is, hey, can we stretch our thinking and alter our lifestyle a bit more? Okay, and uh, we also looked at that our, uh, he called some three witnesses, John being one witness, John the Baptist being one witness, the works he does, and the scripture. Important thing take home is I'm looking around and I see all of you believe in Jesus because you believe in the one whom you sent. You have eternal life. You will not stand before God in judgment. That means that when we finish this race in this life, when we go and stand before God, you don't have to be ashamed because he has covered you and he looks at you through the lens of Jesus, through the shed blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why uh, Apostle Paul writing later to the Corinthian church, he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you have passed from death to life. So shall we take a moment to just to thank God for this gift of eternal life? Uh, thank God that we have passed from death to life. Shall we thank God that uh, we, we, have, we will not stand in judgment? And we can thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day, all in accordance with scripture. And we can also say to God that I genuinely want to live a life of gratitude as I go about this life. Shall we pray? Uh, Father, we thank you for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you, were, you not only died, you, you were buried, and you were raised on the third day, all in accordance with Scripture. We want to thank you that uh, you instructed your disciples and you ascended into heaven, you poured out your Holy Spirit upon your people, the church. Today we want to thank you that your Holy Spirit is a seal of warranty that we are the purchased possession of God. We thank you, Jesus, that today you are interceding for your church, you're preparing a place for your church, you're coming back for your church, and to judge the world. Here we stand in between with our weaknesses and flaws, but we want to thank you that you called us to walk a deeper life with you, a life of confession of our shortcomings and also a confession of who you are. And we want to say, Jesus, you are the Christ. Jesus, you are the Son of the living God. Jesus, you are the head of the church. Jesus, you purchased my soul. 
Jesus, I want to live for you. We ask, Lord, will you bless this congregation? We pray for all those who are away on holiday. We ask they will come back refreshed. We pray for those who are unwell. Will you refresh their souls? We pray for us who are here to continue to go forth and live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's start it.